What difference does it make to have faith in Jesus? This is the question we'll be considering today. So grab your Bible and follow along as we dig into the closing chapter of John's first letter. So what difference does it make to have faith in Jesus? Or why does it matter that we believe in him? Let's jump right into the text today and answer that question together. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So the first point I want us to consider and notice here from these verses is that our new birth through faith in Jesus has conquered the world. Notice that our faith isn't just intellectual asset or an idea. Our faith is shown in how we act, namely in keeping God's commands and our love for one another here. Now, before we begin to dig into what that means a little more, to follow God's commands, to keep them, I want to apply this to our day and age a little bit. Faith is a real and tangible thing. It is not just belief in ideas. It is so much more than that. It is the working out of what we believe, what those ideas are, into everyday life. So don't think that faith is just some sort of feeling in your heart or an idea in your mind. It is those things, and maybe starts there, but it follows you wherever you go, into your life, to work, at home with your spouse or with your kids, wherever. There's really a lot of social pressure to keep faith to yourself. But look at these verses. Our faith does something. It keeps God's commands. It even conquers the world, it says. Notice also in verse 3 how John frames keeping God's commands. He says this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And then he says that they are not a burden. And he tells us why keeping his commands are not burdensome. He says we have conquered the world. John is saying that our faith victoriously defeats the power of sin, death, and evil. My son Ezra really loves to build things and help me work on things. A few days ago, I brought him with me to go and help fix a friend's side-by-side, one of those ATVs that have a seat in a big box, kind of like a small pickup. Ezra wanted to help, so he, uh, he just wants to be like his dad, like so many younger boys. And so when I asked him to help, hey Ezra, go grab that jug of antifreeze and just put the cap on it for me. He just immediately and joyfully did it right away. And it's kind of in that same sense. We who are God's children, we delight to follow God's commands. And so when Ezra had finished helping me, when we had done the work we needed to do, I told him, good job, you're a great helper. And he just smiled and told me how cool and fun it was to get to help. It's the same for us when we follow God's commands. We are filled with joy and purpose and satisfaction. He's a good father who knows what's best for us. It's not as though his commands are arbitrary or burdensome though we often are tempted to think they are. We can trust God, and that trust in him is what leads us to the next point. We can trust the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's look at the next verses in this passage, verses 6 through 13. 
Jesus Christ, it says, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, these verses are obviously a bit tricky to understand at first. All this talk of blood and water seems strange and confusing. But I think it helps if we notice that John seems to be trying to correct a misunderstanding. It kind of helps make sense of what is going on. So let's look at verse 6. It says, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood. And right here it says, not by water only. So apparently someone or some people were thinking of Jesus coming by water only and not by water and blood, as John says. I think water here is referring to Jesus' baptism and maybe more broadly his miracles, his presence on earth, his teaching. And I think the blood is referring to his death or his atoning sacrifice. Now, it seems that some were only focusing maybe then on what Jesus did. They may have been avoiding the discussion of his death and resurrection, which without, Jesus is just a miracle-working teacher or some sort of prophet or worse. And that is what John seems to be arguing against here. He says we just don't look at his acts and his miracles or his baptism maybe, but as verse 7 says, there are three that testify the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Look at verse 7. It is the Spirit, the water, and the blood that testify and are in agreement about who Jesus is. So, he gives us a choice to make. He says we can either trust the testimony of men regarding who Jesus is, or we can trust God's testimony about his Son. I think this is the argument John is making. And how we answer that question is really important. Remember the question I began this message with? What difference does it make to have faith in Jesus? And here's where it comes together in verse 11. And this is God's testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And that is the offer of the gospel, the testimony of Jesus himself. My friends listening in, sit up. Jesus says to you right now, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, in the midst of so much trouble, so much hate, so much confusion, I need to remind myself of those words. Come to me and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So, his rest is for today and for eternity. Cast your burdens, your cares, on him. Take up his work. He came to make all things new. 
there is healing and new life in his words spoken to you. And if you have never really taken your faith seriously, and maybe you're like me and you just need to remind yourself over and over again of what Jesus has done for you, I ask that you would consider praying this simple prayer with me right now. Jesus, I am a mess and I don't know what to do with myself. I can't fix myself. My sin, it's great. I can't get rid of it. I can't ignore it any longer. There are so many things I'm ashamed of. I need you to make me new. On my own, I am just so far from you. Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you did, that you are the Son of God who came and died for me, that you took my sin upon yourself because you loved me so much that you wanted to be with me forever. Jesus, I believe in you. Help me, Jesus. Make me new. Amen. And let me remind you of what he has secured for you. For those of us who pray that prayer, who plead for our Savior, who long to be with him, to understand him more and more, who love him for what he's done, he has secured something for us. Eternal life. And eternal life is so much more than what you often see, some sort of floating around in a cloudy array. Our destination, our final destination, that is, it's not heaven. It is the resurrection from the dead, the day when we will be given new, perfect bodies that never die, never decay, never get sick, never break. And on that day, the kingdom of God will come in full, a new and restored earth, more real, more beautiful, completely perfect and right and just and filled with perfect love for one another and for God. God himself will walk with us there, as he did with us so long ago in the garden. So let's remind each other of these eternal truths. I don't get excited about that cheap picture of heaven from popular culture, those floaty, fluffy clouds with angels floating in the sky. That is not the end the Bible points us to. We are waiting for a new and eternal world made perfect where we will dwell with God forever. But we don't have to wait till death to get a taste, a glimpse, a sense of place of that eternal home. Let's read the rest of the chapter together, looking at verses 14 through 21 of chapter 5. Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Notice how he begins. We can have confidence before God. 
But why? From 1 John, we know exactly why. Because he is a loving father, and we are his beloved children. He desires to give us good things. And so, when we, his people, pray, he hears whatever we ask. But notice, there's a condition. He hears when we ask anything according to his will. In short, his will is given to us in his word. It's what he calls us to do in the scriptures. And his will is that we would be with him. That's what this example prayer that follows in verses 16 and 17, I think, is about. The prayer that God would give life to our Christian brothers, that we would not sin, and that we would have life. So in application, John is saying that God is still in control and sovereign, but he desires that we would become like him. In essence, that our prayers would be matching his desires, both for the world and for his people. And for you who, after reading these verses, might be worried or afraid that your sin is unforgivable, that sin that leads to death he's talking about, let me reassure you. Look at verse 17 and 18 closely. Let me read it again. It says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God, that is Jesus in this context, keeps him, he keeps you, and the evil one does not touch him. God is a faithful and loving Father. His love for you is steadfast. Yes, we must turn from our sin. We must ask for forgiveness. But if you have done that, if you hate your sin, rest assured that you are secure in the hands of your Heavenly Father. And we who stand forgiven have been given eternal life. For as verse 20 says, we are in the true one. That is, we are in His Son, Jesus Christ. We are in Him and He is in us. Or another way of saying this is he is present with us now, and we will be with him forever. We get a taste of his presence today through the Spirit, and we will get the fullness of that in the kingdom to come. So in conclusion, let me answer the question that we began with. What difference does it make to have faith in Jesus? Here's the answer. It makes an eternal difference. God is light. God is love. And this God has offered you eternity with him. But hold on. We are not done yet. You may have noticed we missed a verse. There is one more to go, and it is meant to be a punch in the gut. And so I close with this same punchline that John closes with, too. Chapter 5, verse 21. He says, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. In other words, Who will you serve? Will you serve the one true God, or will you serve the idols of the age, darkness, and worldly things that bring death? That is the wake-up call John gives in closing. Take heed. Beware of evil. Beware of your selfish desire that leads to idolatry. Do not take the call to follow Jesus lightly. Someone once told Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So now, really in conclusion, don't look back. Believe in Jesus. Receive the eternal blessing. 
and serve the God of love and light, and join him in his kingdom forever. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. I have really enjoyed creating this teaching series on 1 John for you. It has greatly challenged and changed my own heart along the way. I pray and I hope that my words have been a blessing to you and that you would pick up your Bible and dig into it yourself, that you would learn to walk with the God of light, the God of love, and enjoy his presence forever.